What are you waiting for? If you were to answer that question, how would you answer it? What are you waiting for? Right answer, right? Hopefully it's for Christ's uh, return. Sometimes we might be waiting for a vacation. It's like, man, I'm really looking forward to this vacation. Or you might be waiting for retirement. You might be waiting to be an empty nester. You might be waiting to get married and have kids. Or you're waiting for graduation. Or you're waiting for a promotion. What Simeon was waiting for was the revelation of the Messiah. God coming. God had spoken to his heart that before he passed away, that he was going to see the coming Messiah. There was one phrase that stood out to me about Simeon in verse 25. If you'll join me in verse 25, behold, there was a man in Jerusalem whose name was Simeon, and this man was just and devout, waiting for the consolation of Israel, and the Holy Spirit was upon him. He was waiting for the consolation of Israel. He was waiting for the Messiah to come and bring deliverance for the nation of Israel. One of the things for me that is easy to lose sight of is the promise of the second coming of Jesus. It's hard to live in this watchful expectation that Christ could come at any time and any moment. Sometimes I think we've seen the theology and the understanding of Christ's second coming abused, where people are like, well, Jesus could come at any time, so I'm just going to rack up the credit card debt. You know? Or Jesus could come at any time, so I'm not really going to take care of my health and take care of my, my body uh, physically. And as we'll see tonight, that's the wrong understanding of this expectation that Jesus is going to come. But Simeon was waiting for the first coming of Jesus. And I'm sure there was a lot in the nation of Israel that knew the promises of the coming Messiah, but they were not waiting for the consolation of Israel. But Simeon was different. He was in this place of belief of longing for Christ to come. And as we think about believers, the big C church, I think there's a lot of believers that have kind of lost sight of the second coming of uh, Jesus Christ and aren't looking for the return of uh, Jesus Christ. So we're in a similar place to Simeon and we're looking to the second coming of Jesus Christ. Not the first coming, but the second coming of Jesus Christ. A few months ago, we went through uh, the book of uh, Revelations, probably over a year ago now. But I find the book of Revelation to be so encouraging in the second coming of Christ because it's Jesus making everything right. And as we look at this world, this world is absolutely crazy and it's leading up to something and it's the second coming of Christ where he kicks everybody's can. And honestly, everybody deserves it, right? This Christ-rejecting world is a place where it's ripe for judgment and there's particular events, things that that happen where you're like, wow, God is going to have to come and make this right. Such violence and hard hearts and Jesus come. And there's a part of us as the church where we cry out Maranatha. We cry out, Lord, come quickly. That's what the word Maranatha means. But don't misunderstand the Bible. It does have an ending and it's an exclamation point and it's with the coming of Jesus Christ. This is all headed to Christ returning and him ruling and reigning in Jerusalem for a thousand years. So we're gonna, where we're going to spend 
Most of our time this evening is in Matthew chapter 24 and 25, looking at Christ's words for us to be watching, for us to be waiting for his coming. And I hope before you leave tonight that you're just encouraged to be in this place of expectation that Jesus could come at any particular time, at any particular moment, because it's clear that Jesus wants us watching, just like Simon was waiting for the consolation of Israel. So this is verse 1 of Matthew chapter 24. Then Jesus went out and departed from the temple, and his disciples came up to show him the building of the temple. This is a massive remodel of the temple. Herod doing a, a makeover, if you would, to the temple, and they're showing the temple to Jesus. And Jesus said to them, Do you not see all these things? Surely I say to you, not one stone shall be left here upon another that shall not be thrown down. And Jesus predicts the destruction of the temple, which would take place in AD 40. The Roman Empire would come and destroy the temple, and the temple has not yet been rebuilt. We know the temple will be rebuilt according to Revelation because we see a future temple in the book of Revelation. But this would be absolutely mind-blowing to the disciples that this temple could be destroyed. They're thinking, well, if this temple is going to be destroyed, this has to be the end of all things. So they ask a question. Now, as he sat on the Mount of Olives, from the Mount of Olives, you've got a perfect view of the temple. Perfect view of the Temple Mount. The disciples came to him privately saying, tell us, when will these things be and what will be the sign of your coming and the end of the age? So they're saying, is there some signs that will be leading up to the end, to your coming, to the end of the age? And Jesus then for the next few verses gives us some signs. If you're taking notes tonight, in terms of being watchful first, is watch the signs. Watch the signs. God wants us to be aware of the times that we live in so that we understand we're getting closer to the coming of Jesus Christ. If you're driving to Denver, the closer you get to Denver, the more signs there are for Denver. You know? It's clear you're, you're coming into this big metropolitan city, and the closer we get to the second coming of Jesus Christ there's more signs. Can you honestly say there's more signs of the second coming of Jesus Christ from five years ago? From 10 years ago? 50 years ago? Absolutely, right? So we know we're getting closer to the second coming of, of Jesus. Jesus answered and said to them, take heed that no one deceives you. The first sign is spiritual deception. For many will come in my name saying, I'm the Christ and will deceive many. There's going to be a lot of false Christs. Those claiming to be Christ that are not Christ. And when you look at false religions where they go wrong is the deity of Christ, the person and work of Christ. And they teach a false Christ. And there's a lot of spiritual deception out there. And you've got to be paying attention. And this spiritual deception is going to multiply the closer we get to the second coming of Jesus Christ. It's, it's more and more common for churches to depart from the Word of God, to not be teaching the Word of God and to start teaching something that's contrary to the Word of God in the name of God. And so we don't need to be fearful, but we need to be wise and be in the Scriptures for ourselves because as we're in the Scriptures, then we're able to be able to point out a counterfeit. 
able to be able. That'll preach, not really. But verse six, and you will hear of wars and rumors of wars. See that you do not see that you are not troubled, for all these things must come to pass, but the end is not yet. So the second sign is there's going to be wars and rumors of wars. It seems to be that there's more and more conflict taking place, more and more wars breaking out. I read in the news today that Taiwan shot down one of China's drones. Uh, It seems as though there potentially could be a conflict over Taiwan. China's like, you guys belong to us. And Taiwan's like, I don't think so. And just seems to be ramping up towards a, a conflict. We see the war that is taking place in Russia, them invading Ukraine. And the Bible said there's gonna be wars. There's gonna be rumors of wars. And this is just the beginning. The end is not yet. For nation will rise against nation and kingdom against kingdom. The word nation, it's ethnos, it's, it, in the Greek it speaks of ethnic, it's actually ethnic group rising up against ethnic group. Kingdom is more of, of nation rising up against nation. Unfortunately, it's heartbreaking, it seems to be that there's, there's a rise in racism, there's a rise in this division, and the enemy is behind that, and the enemy would want us to divide, and it doesn't express the, the heart of Christ, but Jesus says this is one of the signs leading up to the end, that you're going to have ethnic group against ethnic group, and kingdom against kingdom, and there will be famines and pestilence and earthquakes in various places famines taking place, food shortages taking place, pestilences taking place, and earthquakes in various places. This is a fascinating study. You can go look it up for yourself. But if you just look at how many more earthquakes are happening, they're happening with more and more rapidity in more and more locations. And that's a sign leading up to the rapture of the church and the second coming of Jesus Christ. So as you see more and more earthquakes, creation is giving you a signal. Creation is giving you a sign that it's leading up to the second coming of of Jesus Christ. All of these sorrows are the beginning of sorrows. Then they will deliver you up to tribulation and kill you, and you'll be hated by all nations for my name's sake. And then many will be offended, will betray one another, and will hate one another. Part of the signs leading up to the second coming of Jesus Christ is this hatred for the things of God, this hatred for the things of Christ. And we're seeing more and more in the world and in culture that darkness does not love light, that darkness doesn't love the message of, of Jesus Christ. There's even a war over life itself, that life begins at conception. And to be able to be at a place to understand Christ has predicted this, he's called this, this this is part of the signs leading up to the end that it's not gonna be popular to be a Christian, it's not gonna be popular to stand for the things that God stands for, and many will be offended, many will turn on one another, then many false prophets will rise up and deceive many. And you're like, how is this good news? Because of what it leads up to, right? Remember, these are the words of Jesus. I'm not making this stuff up. This is what Jesus says. This is gonna happen leading up to 
the rapture leading up to the second coming of Jesus Christ. This is an interesting verse, and I think it really plays out today. And because lawlessness will abound, the love of many will grow cold. So when you have lawlessness abounding, and lawlessness is not held in check, according to the scriptures, what's the primary purpose of government? That's an important one to think through. Romans 13 tells us the primary role of government is to restrain evil. That's their job is to say, how do we restrain evil? How is there justice in society? When lawlessness departs and people are no longer held accountable for lawlessness, then what happens to the heart? The heart grows cold. And specifically, the love of many will grow cold. It's this indifference that can happen in a society where we say, hey, if no one's going to be held accountable, then I don't really care. We need to be careful and guard our own hearts that our hearts don't grow cold, that our love for God and our love for others doesn't grow cold, that we would see people the way that God has created them, created in his image, and Jesus loves them, and Jesus died for them. You can look at a lot of specific things and see how love has grown cold, how there's just extreme violence that's taking place in our culture and in our world. But he who endures to the end shall be saved, and this gospel of the kingdom will be preached in all the world as witness to all the nations, and then the end will come. I believe that we're seeing the fulfillment of this in our lifetime. I think I was maybe a freshman, sophomore in high school, and we got a new computer, a gateway computer. You guys remember those? And we got internet at the house. And it was something like this. And you're getting online, and there really wasn't a lot there. There really wasn't a lot to, to check out, and it wasn't a, a really big deal. You know, I came on staff at Rocky Mountain in February of 2000. The staff was small. There was a a few of us. We didn't have email addresses. And so decided to get email addresses. So we all got Hotmail email addresses. Uh, Amber and I got married in 2001. And the internet was really not that big of a deal in 2001 when we, we got married. Man, time has changed in 20 years, hasn't it? So how does that tie into verse 14 is through the internet, there has been an explosion of the gospel to some very hard to reach places. The gospel's going forth. There's people online that are looking for the gospel and more and more, there's fewer and fewer people that don't have internet access. And obviously with internet access has come a lot of evil. But one of the good things that has come out of it is people have had access to the gospel. One thing that doesn't get talked about a lot from the COVID pandemic is there was a lot of people online that were searching for answers and searching to know Christ as their savior. And a lot, a lot of people came to know Christ as their savior online. You know, a lot of unbelievers are searching out who Jesus is online. That's One of the reasons why we live stream our services and want to engage people online because 
unbelievers are, are searching for Christ online, and then the gospel is, is literally going out. You know, there's ministries that you can sign up to be a part of where people are online asking questions about Jesus, and you get to answer those questions. You would never be able to go to all of those places in the world, but you get to be a missionary from the coffee shop or from your, your family room, that the gospel explosion, and this was predicted by Jesus that the gospel would go forth to the nations before the end uh, would come. Right when I got out of school ministry, before I ended up moving to Colorado, my church, my home church, Applegate, had asked me to go to Vanuatu, an island in the South Pacific. And I originally said yes, then I said no. (laughs) I went back on my commitment. But if I would have went to Vanuatu as a 19, 20-year-old there in 99 time frame, there was no contact with family. Like there was no really letters going back and forth. There was no phones in Vanuatu, this remote. I mean, there's probably some phone that you could find, but very little communication uh, with, with your family. And how quickly that's changed, hasn't it? We, we're, we literally have lived to see this information explosion. And one of the things that's happened is the gospel has gone forth. I don't think you have to be a genius to read these first 14 verses of Matthew 24 and go, we're getting closer to the rapture of the church. We're getting closer to the second coming of Jesus. Let's go to verse 32 of Matthew 24. Now learn the parable from the fig tree. When its branches has already become tender and put forth its leaves, you know that summer is near. So you also, when you see all things known that it is near at the doors. Assuredly, I say to you, this generation will by no means pass away till all of these things take place. Heaven and earth will pass away, but by my words, but my words will by no means pass away. Jesus gives us this illustration of the fig tree. When the branches have already come forth tender, you know that the summer is near. In the same way, when you start to see these signs being fulfilled, you know that we're getting closer and nearer to the end. It's kind of like you go, man, fall's coming because all the Halloween decorations are out in July. (laughs) You know, it seems like those Halloween decorations just come out earlier and earlier, and you go, oh, we we must be getting close to harvest gathering to to Halloween. And so these signs point to the fact that Jesus is coming. It's interesting that Jesus would say in verse 35, heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will by no means pass away. There's this tendency in our hearts to really doubt the second coming of Christ, to doubt the end of all things, that the earth is going to build up. We, we tend to have this mentality that things are always going to continue the way that they've been. And so here Jesus gives us this point of emphasis, and he's saying, no, heaven and earth is going to pass away. The galaxy, Milky Way galaxy is going to pass away. Pike's Peak is going to pass away. But God's word will not pass away. There's going to be some point in eternity where we're going to read Matthew chapter 24 and go, this went down just the way Jesus said it would. I didn't fully understand it then, but man, I sure understand it now. So hold on to the word of God. Point number two is watch continually. Jesus exhorts us to watch continually. 
But of the day and the hour, no one knows, not even the angels of heaven, but my Father only. So the Father is the only one that knows the day and the hour of the second coming of, of Jesus Christ, of the rapture of the church. Not even Jesus knows it. So if anybody tells you, I know when Jesus is going to come back, liar, right? Just open up Matthew 24, 36 and say, the Bible says you don't know, right? We know the times and the seasons, but we don't know the day or the hour that Christ is going to return. It's been a while since there's been one of these campaigns, but eventually there's someone that comes out and says, well, Jesus is going to come back this date, 2023. And it's like, dude, you ruined it because nobody knows the day or the hour, right? Verse 37, but as the days of Noah were, so also will the coming of the Son of Man be. For as in the days before the flood, they were eating and drinking, marrying, giving in marriage until the day that Noah entered the ark and didn't know until the flood came and took them all away, so also will be the coming of the Son of Man. The days of Noah, here comes the flood. They're not expecting it. Noah was warning, but they just continued as usual eating, drinking, giving in marriage. And Jesus says it's going to be like the days of Noah. If you go back and you study the flood account in Genesis, you see also that it was a very violent time where we're living in days that are similar to, to Noah. Then two will be in the field, one will be taken and the other left. Two will be grinding at the mill, one will be taken and the other left. Watch therefore, for you do not know what hour your Lord is coming. But know this, that the master of the house had known what hour the thief would come. He would have watched and not allowed his house to be broken into. Therefore, you also be ready, for the Son of Man is coming at an hour you do not expect. <laughs> Jesus gives us this illustration. If you knew that the hour the thief was going to come, you would be prepared. What if you caught wind that someone was going to break into your house tonight at 2 a.m.? You might be greeting them with Glock and Smith & Wesson, right? It's like, not today. You knew that they were going to come. But obviously you don't know. So many times you're, you're not prepared. And Jesus doesn't want his coming to catch us unaware, to cause us to not be prepared. So he tells us, watch therefore, for you do not know what hour your Lord is coming. And does this change... The way that we go through life, if we have this perspective, Jesus could come today. It gives us hope, doesn't it? The second coming of Jesus should give us hope. We should be, be hopeful. It also should cause us to want to walk in faithfulness unto the Lord because it's like, man, when Jesus comes back, I don't want him to catch me being a knucklehead, right? Now, is God still going to be gracious to take us in the rapture? Yes, absolutely, if we're in Christ. But we'd rather him find us being faithful to, to the Lord. So this is important to Jesus that we're continually watching and we're waiting for him to return. This is one of the primary reasons that I believe in a pre-tribulation rapture view. Let me explain that. Some of you may be familiar that the rapture of the church is when God takes the church, believers who are alive, and 
catches us up. We don't die, we're with the Lord, and we're forever with the Lord. I think we're all voting for rapture. That'd be awesome, right? The question is timing. Is it happened before the tribulation, which is this time where God is judging a Christ-rejecting world, or the middle of the tribulation, or at the end of the tribulation? And there's a lot of believers that have differing opinions, and ultimately it's not an issue of salvation or an issue for us to divide over. But if the rapture were to happen in the middle of the tribulation, Jesus couldn't come today. We would know that the rapture of the church could, could not be today because those events in the first three and a half years of the tribulation have not taken place yet. Jesus couldn't come today if it's at the end of the tribulation because as you read the book of Revelation, we're clearly not in that, that time yet. And so you find yourself looking for the Antichrist instead of Jesus Christ. If there's a mid-tribulation view or a post-tribulation view. But ultimately, whatever view you decide, you should not throw away this section of Matthew where you're living in imminent return of Christ. So you hold to a mid-tribulation view. You hold to a post-tribulation view. That's fine, but make sure you're in this place where you're looking for Christ to come at any moment, where you're watching and you're waiting because it's important to the Lord. And he tells us why in the next few verses. He says, Who then is faithful and wise servant, whom his master made ruler over his household, to give them food in due season? Blessed is the servant whom his master, when he comes, he will find so doing. Hopefully we're found faithful. Assuredly, I say to you, he'll make him ruler over all of his goods. This eternal reward that comes with being found faithful. But if that servant says in his heart, my master is delaying his coming. So what happens to us if we say, Jesus is delaying his coming? And begins to beat his fellow servants and to eat and drink with the drunkards. The master of the servant will come on a day when he's not looking for him and an hour that he's not aware of and will cut him in two and appoint him his portion with the hypocrites. There shall be weeping and gnashing of, of teeth. So if we think that Christ is going to delay his coming, then this is affects the way we treat people and the, affects the way that we live. So it's important to hold that view that Christ could come at any time. The parable of the wise and foolish virgins is similar. It's the similar exhortation to watch continually. Then the kingdom of heaven shall be likened to ten virgins who took their lamps and went out to meet the bridegroom. They're getting ready for the wedding feast. Now five of them were wise and five were foolish. Those who were foolish took their lamps and took no oil with them. But the wise took oil in their vessel with their lamps. But while the bridegroom was delayed, they all slumbered and slept. And at midnight a cry was heard, Behold, the bridegroom is coming. Go out to meet him. Then all those virgins arose and trimmed their lamps. And the foolish said to the wise, Give us some of your oil, for our, lamp is, our lamps are going out. But the wise answered, saying, No, lest there should not be enough for us and you. But go rather to those who sell and buy for yourself. See if you can get it on Amazon. See if Amazon Prime can get it real, real fast. And while they went out to buy, the bridegroom came, and those who were ready went in with him 
to the wedding and the door was shut. Afterward, the other virgins came also saying, Lord, Lord, open to us. But he answered and said, Assuredly, I say to you, I do not know you. Watch therefore, for you know neither the day nor the hour in which the Son of Man is coming. Seems pretty important to Jesus, don't you think? He's spending quite a bit of time on this. Saying, hey, make sure that you watch. Make sure that the second coming of Jesus Christ doesn't catch you off guard. There's one more parable that ties into this, and you may be familiar, and it's called the parable of the talents, but it's in context of Christ coming back. And it brings us to our our third point, and we want to watch faithfully. We we watch continually, but we want to watch faithfully. God has given these financial resources to three different servants and how they use those, those talents. For the kingdom of heaven is like a man traveling to a far country who called his own servants and delivered his goods to them. And to one he gave five talents and another two and to another one to each according to his own ability and immediately he went on a journey. So God does give us talents. He gives us financial resources. He gives us abilities. He gives us spiritual understanding. And he gives to each differently. And it's not wrong for one to have five and one to have two and one to only have one. They're they're given according to their ability. And God sees fit to give as, as he chooses. Then he who received five talents went and traded with them and made another five talents. So he took those goods and he traded and he did business and he multiplied. He did well and created five more talents. And likewise, he who had received two gained two more also. But he who had received one went and dug in the ground and hid his Lord's money. After, notice this, a long time, the Lord of those servants came and settled accounts with them. So Jesus is giving all of this in one message. This is all part of the Olivet Discourse, starting with this question of what's the sign going to be of the end? And Jesus starts giving the signs in Matthew 24, and he keeps talking about the end. And he's saying, okay, you're servants, and you've been entrusted with, with talents, but at some day, the master's coming back, and the master's Jesus. And Jesus is going to come back, and when he comes back, we're accountable to him for the talents that he's given us. So he who had received five talents came and brought five other talents, saying, Lord, you delivered to me five talents. Look, I've gained five more besides them. His Lord said to him, well done, good and faithful servant. You are faithful over a few things. I will make you ruler over many things. Enter into the joy of your Lord." So the master's pleased and says, you are a faithful servant. So part of us watching, and we see this in the character of Simeon, as we're watching for the coming of Jesus Christ, it's not a disconnecting from our responsibilities. It's the exact opposite. It's saying, Jesus is going to return. I want to be watching for his return, and I want him to find me faithful, so I want to invest what he's entrusted to me. These talents don't belong to the servants. They don't belong to me. They belong to the Lord. And so I want to invest time, money, talents, abilities that God's given. I want to invest those into God's kingdom so that when God then comes back, that he finds me being faithful 
And one of the amazing things about Christ's millennial reign, his 1,000-year reign, is we get to rule and reign with Christ. How is God going to give out assignments based on your faithfulness in this life? He's going to go, oh, you were faithful with little. I'm going to allow you to be faithful with much. Enter into the joy of the Lord. So it might be faithful over doing some dishes. It might be faithful over some schoolwork. It might be faithful over raising some children. It might be faithful being an accountant or being a school teacher or working construction or being a pastor. It really doesn't matter. God puts us in all different aspects of life, but saying, I want to be faithful to, to the Lord because Christ is going to come back. So if we have an attitude about the second coming and end times, where it causes us to say, I'm going to disconnect from life, that's the wrong application, right? The right application is, I know that Christ is coming. Sure seems like we're getting closer. I want to be found faithful when he returns. In verse 22, he would receive two talents, came and said, Lord, you have delivered to me two talents. Look, I've gained two more talents besides them. His Lord said to him, well done, good and faithful servant, You've been faithful over a few talents. I'll make you ruler over many things. Enter into the joy of the Lord. Then he who had received the one talent came and said, Lord, I knew you to be a hard man, reaping where you've not sown and gathered where you have not scattered seed. And I was afraid and went and hid your talent in the ground. Look, there you have what is yours. So he didn't lose anything, but he didn't gain anything either. But his Lord answered and said to him, Your wicked and lazy servant, you knew that I reap where I have not sown and gather where I have not scattered seed. So Jesus sees into the heart of this particular servant. This servant is saying, Oh, I was just so afraid. I, I, I was so afraid that you'd be upset if I invested this talent and didn't get a return from it. But then Jesus sees the heart of it and actually says, the heart of it is laziness. The heart of it is that, that you are wicked, not this fear that is kind of the, the covering. The root of the issue was, was the laziness. So you ought to have deposited my money with bankers, and at my coming I would have received bank, I, I would have received back my own interest. Therefore, take the talent from him and give it to him who has ten talents. For to everyone who has, more will be given, and he will have abundance. But for whom? But for him who does not have, even what he has will be taken away. And cast the unprofitable servant into the outer darkness. There will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. You've got to be careful how you interpret just a particular verse, because you could read this and think, well, then are we saved by our works? No. We know what the gospel is, right? We're saved by grace through faith. It's by believing in what Christ has done for us that, that we're saved. So, so don't start to adopt a works-based salvation, but take the message of this parable, and that is when the Lord comes back, he wants us to be in a place of, of faithfulness. Just a couple more verses and we're going to be done. In verse 31. When the Son of Man comes in his glory and all the holy angels with him, and he will sit on the throne of his glory, all the nations will be gathered before him, and he will separate them one from another as a shepherd divides his sheep from the goats. 
and he will set the sheep on his right hand and the goats on his left hand. The king will say to those on his right hand, come, you blessed of my father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundations of the world. When Christ returns, he's gonna rule over the nations and he's gonna sort out those that know him, those that are his sheep and those that are the goats. And the most important thing is knowing Christ, knowing his death, his resurrection, trusting him for salvation, inviting him to be the Lord of our lives. And with that understanding of the gospel is saying, Lord, I want to please you. I want to live for you. I want to take these talents that you've entrusted to me, whether it's money or it's ability or it's time, and use it for your glory. I think Simeon did that. I don't think Simeon was in a place where he's like, oh, the Messiah's coming, so I don't have to go to work. The, the Messiah's coming, so Visa's going to be my best friend. I'm not going to have to pay back this debt. Or, or the Messiah's coming, so I'm going to be a jerk to my wife, right? It's not this disengaging. I picture Simeon being one, and we do know that he was just and he was devout, where he's like, man, you know what? God spoke to me that I'm not going to die until I see the Messiah. And it probably moved him to say, I want to work harder to the glory of God. I want to love my wife in a way that, that honors the Lord. That This is God's money. I want to manage it well to, to his glory. I want to be giving and generous and wise with these decisions that, that I make. Paul said this, and it's an awesome promise in 2, 4, 8, 2 Timothy 4.8. Man, sometimes it's just hard to talk. <sighs> 2 Timothy 4.8. Finally, there is laid up for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will give me on that day. And not me only, but also to all who love his appearing. This is quite a statement. Paul says, I've kept the faith. I've finished the race. He's about ready to be martyred for his faith. And he has this peace with the Lord that God actually has a crown laid up for him. And we see in the Bible that God's going to graciously give crowns as reward. And we're going to care about those in heaven because they're laid down at the feet of Jesus in worship. The elders laid their crowns down to Jesus in the book of Revelation. But Paul says, you too are going to receive this crown of righteousness if you love his appearing. If you love his appearing. To me, this is a pretty easy crown to earn, right? Because all we have to do is go through this life and say, Lord, I can't wait for you to come back. What I'm really looking forward to is the second coming of Jesus Christ. What I'm really longing for is the rapture of the church when you take us up. Lord, this is going to be so great when you make everything right. God, my heart cries out for you to rule over the nations. And don't be afraid of that. Because if we really learn to watch and believe that Jesus could come today and love is appearing, it's not going to lead to a detaching from this life, but it's actually going to lead to an engaging in this life. Where we say, you know what? It matters. My work matters unto the Lord. The way I treat my family matters unto the Lord. How I spend my time matters unto the Lord because Christ could come back at any time and I want to be found faithful. 
in some ways, as easy as this seems to love is appearing, I find it to be difficult because it's just easy to go into survival mode. This is all I know is this human experience. So from my fleshly, earthly mind and perspective, I just tend to think about, man, tomorrow's September 1st. Got to make sure I pay the mortgage. It usually helps when I pay the mortgage on September 1st. And pay the utilities, right? Tomorrow, the Drake Power Plant is going to close in Colorado Springs off of I-25. It's been going for 97 years, and it's, it's closed down, right? And that'll be a, a change in, in, in our city. And utilities are going to go up, right? That's just the reality of part of the Drake power plant being, being closed down. So anyway, I got to pay the mortgage and I got to pay the utilities. And, you know, Monday morning's trash day at our house. And it usually goes better if I get all the trash out Sunday night because I forget Monday morning. They come really early and that's super stressful. And you're waking up to the trash truck and you're like, oh, I forgot all the trash. And we're a family of six. And before you know it, I'm not thinking about Jesus coming back, Right? I'm just thinking about these things that I need to get done and dentist appointments and getting kids signed up for this and that. And then there's pastoring, right? There's, there's some responsibility in that too. And, and you're just going through life and trying to do all the tasks. And, and honestly, I can go a long time without thinking about the second coming of, of Jesus Christ. And, and one of the things that I think has been good about the difficulty of the last two and a half years is it has caused the church to be awakened to the reality that this life is not all that there is and that Jesus is coming and to really look and long for his return. Tonight we're going to take communion and one of the aspects of communion is we look back at the cross, Jesus' broken body, his shed blood. We look within at our hearts. God, where would you want to bring conviction and correction? But we also proclaim his death till he comes. We lift the cup in faith tonight, saying, Jesus, you're going to come back. When Jesus had the last feast with his disciples, he said, I'm not going to eat of this again till we're all gathered in heaven. Jesus is waiting for the end of all things when his bride is gathered with him to enter back into that, that feast. And tonight we're saying, I'm doing this right now in faith, but someday I'm going to do it in reality. Jesus, you're going to come back. Trust me on this, and even more so, trust the words of Christ. It matters what you believe about the second coming of Jesus Christ and being in this watchful place, in this watchful attitude, because it will impact the way that we live our lives. So let's ask God for his help in this. Would you stand with me and let's pray together. Jesus, we look forward to you coming back. It's going to be awesome for you to land on the Mount of Olives and to rule and reign, to set the nations right. We can't even begin to imagine what it's going to be like for you to be in charge, but our hearts long for it. Our hearts really do long for it. And we see a a Christ-rejecting world that appears to be ripe for, for your judgment. We know why you're waiting. We know why you're tearing because you want people to come to know you and we pray many would come come to know you. Would you help us to not lose sight of your coming? May we be like Simeon 
where we're waiting for your return. We're waiting for your coming. So as we take communion tonight, would you place this deep in our hearts and may we be believers. May we be your children that love your appearing. May you fill us with hope tonight knowing that this life is not all that there is. Someday we're gonna enter into the marriage feast of the Lamb. We're gonna enjoy that with you. So tonight we proclaim your death till you come. In Jesus' name, amen.